You're probably all aware in the news about the passing of Prince Philip. It's something that's been streamed on News 24 channels um, for the last few days. And I've been struck by the, the, sort of the numbers of comments, the tributes, the words that have been spoken about um, Prince Philip. Because he's had 99, nearly 100 years of life. Or nearly 100 years of, um, bearing in mind, he, he's had cameras on him all the time. He's had microphones on him all the time. The amount of photographs that would have been taken of Prince Philip. The, the number of um, Instagram quotes and the number of recordings and the number of videos and photos and words written about him. Newspaper articles. It's just mind-boggling. And it's been, it's been lovely to listen to kind of the tributes from... Let's remember his wife, the queen, tributes from, from his children and things. Regardless of what you think about him as a person, regardless of what you think about the royal family, I've, it's been amazing to think about that. And I've been thinking about my own life. What would my wife say about me if I was to die? What would my family say about me? What tributes would be put in the paper or on, on, in the news about me? And it got me thinking about relationships. I think about um, my um, and mine and Steph's marriage. And Steph's, for those that can't see, Steph is right here in front of me. So I'm going to begin this message. I have warned her by talking about the early years of our marriage. <laughs> we got married nine, nearly nine years ago. Nearly nine years ago in 2012. And there was this thing that I used to do. Well, first of all, it's something Steph used to do that annoyed me. So we got married. Nobody tells you about this in marriage prep. But we went to, you know, we were a married couple. And we would go around, you know, social gatherings, go and hang out with friends, go and do things outside. And I didn't realize. But Steph would, I didn't know, you know, this, this was a thing. But Steph would share about our lives, as you would do in any conversation. Because no longer is it her life now. It's our life. So she would share things with people and other couples and other friends and other family members. That would involve me. And I'm like, I haven't given you permission to share that bit of information about me. So I developed this habit, this annoying habit. When Steph started talking about something that made me feel uncomfortable, I'd poke her. If I was, I'd, and if, you know, if I wasn't in poking distance, I'd kick her. I'm confessing, I'm making this very real and raw, but I didn't know how to deal with Steph sharing about my life in front of others, I would poke her. And it would inevitably lead to an argument on the way home. She was like, why did you poke me? And I said, well, why did you say that about me? You didn't have the right to say that about me. Now, you're probably thinking, what was she sharing? Whoa, what dirt did she share on Ben? Well, she was telling people, as you do in just mundane, boring conversations, you know, what brand of toilet roll would you use? And I'd be like, whoa, Steph, people now know that I use a toilet. People now use, know that I, I do a number two. She, you're telling people too much. You know, she'd tell people what time we woke up that morning. And I'd be like, Steph, you're telling people that we're in the same beds. Don't tell people that. <laughs> she'd tell people that we're having, you know, this job needs doing around the house. And I'd be like, Steph, don't tell them that. Because then, then they realize that I'm completely incompetent at DIY, that I can't do anything. Now, these things were very trivial things, but they were kind of, words were shared, conversations were had, and I must confess, arguments were had as well. And I was thinking about just generally our relationships in life are difficult. They're challenging. They are challenging, whether that be a, a spouse, whether that be a father, son, or do, mother, daughter, or um, a neighbor, or a friend, or relationships are tricky. 
we've all done, now, I've, I've confessed up. I'm not going to ask you all individually to tell me what things you've done or said that you're not pleased or proud about. But I'm sure you'll all agree, maybe those in the room can agree by just simply nodding. You've said some things in your life that you really shouldn't have done. You've said some things in your life that have hurt other people. You may not have set out to deliberately say something that you deliberately wanted to hurt them, but you've accidentally or, you know, without knowing, hurt them. We've all done it. And if you read the Bible, New Testament, the book of James, I'm going to read a couple of um, Bible verses. First of all, verse 2 in chapter 3 of James says this. This is nice encouragement for those like me who have made many mistakes. It says right at the beginning, indeed, we all make many mistakes. So if you've made mistakes in your life, you're in the right place. You can relax. I'm not going to tell you off. You're in the right place. For if we could control our tongues, because here's the issue. If we could control our tongues, we would all be perfect. So if life is, is, is simply that, if you can control your tongue, you will be a perfect person. Problem is, and, and, and also it says, and you could also control yourself in every other way. If you can control this, your tongue is pretty disgusting. I won't actually show you my tongue. But if you can control your tongue, you can control the whole of your life. James takes it one step further. Verse 7, it says, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles. You could tame a crocodile far easier than you could tame your own tongue. No one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. I'm trying to deliberately paint a difficult picture. I'm trying to deliberately understand your predicament. Now, actually, life is hard. Being a Christian is hard. Being a brother is hard. Being a a father is hard. Being a husband or a wife is hard because we have this thing in our mouth which can be sometimes out of control and say things without even any planning. We can hurt other people. Now, there is some reassurance. Now you're probably thinking, where's he going to go with this? Where's the encouragement? Where am I going to land after this? You probably think, well, obviously he's going to look to Jesus, isn't he? You know, we've all, many Christians have worn the band, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus be? You know, I I, I used to have a a band around my wrist that said, what WWJD, what would Jesus do? But I I thought I'd take a different angle. I've just James. Now James was Jesus's brother. If you want to find out about how somebody really is, what you do, you wouldn't go to them direct. You would go to their brother or your sister. You'd want to find out, you know, what this person is really like. You could go to somebody close to them. So we're going to go to James. That's where we're spending. Well, I'm actually only going to read one verse. Now James is, as I mentioned, is Jesus's half-brother. He... um, was eventually the first um, leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was also, you have to bear in mind, this is Jesus' brother. He had to believe in Jesus as his Messiah, his Savior. Imagine you believing in your brother or sister as your Messiah. It's quite a tall order, so he had to believe. Not only did, did he believe and lead a church, James also was stoned to death for his faith in Jesus and the resurrected Jesus. So that's quite um, a brotherly relationship that it's quite incredible, really. But this is what, J- this is what James says. Because the, the problem is we've got tongues. The problem is we say too much. The problem is we say things we shouldn't say. The problem is we hurt other people. We hurt those closest to us, our husbands, our wives, our friends, our family. We, we can be vicious with our tongues. So what can and what do or should we do? James makes it so easy. So if you are coming to church today and you're hoping for a nice, easy message with a nice, easy, memorable take home, today is your lucky day. This is a super straightforward, life-changing 
message. This could change your life. I'm not boasting because I'm just going to simply read a few words from the Bible. Those words, these words I'm about to read, could change your life. If you want to be a better person, if you're frustrated that you get anger, angry too often, too irregular, too, you know, and you, you just destroy other people in your wake. You do too much of that. You say things you shouldn't. This verse can really help you. And it comes in verse chapter one. So James, if James was alive now, he'd definitely have an Instagram account. He'd definitely be well um, versed in Twitter. Because um, he'd, he'd definitely have a, a kind of a, um, a fridge magnet making company because he would always put these lovely quotes on his fridge. You know, screensavers on your mobile phone, Instagram quotes with lovely imagery. He just, he, his, the book of James, if you're kind of looking for a place to start with reading the Bible, if you kind of think, where do I go with the Bible? Look at the book of James. It's full of one-liners. It's full of memorable quotes. It's full of inspirational stuff. Um, based, a little bit like the book of Proverbs, but it, this is New Testament. Um, so this is the verse. This is, what, this is the only verse I'm really going to use for the rest of today. This is the main verse. And it says this, James 1 verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to get angry. (laughs) End of message. We can all go home. That's will change your life. That, honestly, could change your life. Now, the reason this message exists, the reason I'm here today, um, back in around about October last year, the core team, we're talking about vision, and you, may, you, know, you probably know about, if, if you're new to the church, you may not have picked up Vision Sunday back in January, you may not have picked up kind of where we're going with this sort of message about standing up uh, for one another, standing together, standing on the promises of Jesus, standing with Jesus, standing, um, all the other things, standing up for, for, for other people, all those things. That's kind of the, the vision for this, the focus for this year. We were talking about kind of what's involved in that. We're, bearing in mind, back in October, we're just coming out of that, we're just kind of close to going into lockdown number two, and we were trying to work out what does the church need? And we thought, well, there's going to be a lot of people who need to talk. There's going to be a lot of people that need somebody else to listen. There's going to be a lot of shoulders that need to be cried on and a lot of shoulders that need to cry. That doesn't make sense. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that need to know that there's a church out there. There are Christians out there that are listening and understanding them. This is the point. So we decided to take a message today, and I think Sarah is going to do one. I think next week we've got a guest speaker all the way from America who's sharing about meekness. So we're kind of addressing this issue of listening the world needs somebody else to listen to them. Your world needs somebody to, they need you to listen and understand them. So today's message is simply this. Listen quick, speak slow. If you're looking for a take home, I'm going to be, first job, first on my priority list is I'm always going to listen. Second is speak. I'm always going to listen before I speak. It's a priority. It's a universal application. That, this can apply to so many different situations. So it can apply to conflict. So you're in a situation where somebody is bad-mouthing you and, 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 and saying all sorts of horrible things to you. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Don't react. 
quick to listen. It could be that you're angry. So somebody's done something that's annoyed you. Somebody has done something that's irritated and annoyed you, and you want to poke them. <laughs> quick to listen, slow to speak. It could be that you're counseling somebody. So somebody comes to you with a problem, and they want you, or they, they just want to share. They want you to listen. And often we just want to fix them. But instead, quick to listen, slow to speak. It could be that you're sharing your faith with somebody. You want them to become a Christian because you know it would be good for their life. You know Jesus. They need Jesus. So I need to keep telling them. I need to share my faith. I need to mouth to mouth. Quick to listen. Hear their side of the story. Understand them. Listen to them. Then speak. Slow to speak. It could be when you're trying to build a relationship that might be broken with a son or a sibling or a, a friend or a it could be you're just simply trying to sort of invest in a child, you know, one of your children, or, or in, in a relationship. You know, this, this is universally ap- applicable. Quick to listen, slow to speak. It's not rocket science today. This is a simple message. If you just remember those words, listen quick, speak slow. I believe it could change your life. So I'm going to unpack those. I'm actually going to talk about the third Um, point within that one verse, verse 19 of James 1, which says slow to get angry. I'm going to get that one out of the way first, and I'm going to go go through those three things. So slow to get angry, then slow to speak, then quick to listen. And that's today's message in the next sort of 10 or 15 minutes. So anger, that third one, slow to get angry, it's almost like the third sort of instruction. He says, quick to listen, Slow to speak, slow to get angry. So the three things on my to-do list today, I'm going to be always going to be quick to listen, I'm always going to be slow to speak, and I'm always going to be slow to get angry. Or it could be, if you are quick to listen, and you are slow to speak, then the byproduct, the result of that, the tip here, is if you want to be less angry, you'll be more of a listener, and you'll be a slower speaker and then you'll be, so it, I think it can work in two ways. It's kind of three standalone things that God and James through, God through James is asking you to do. But also I think there's cause and effect. If you are, if you are quick to listen, you'll by default be slow to speak. And if you're not speaking so much and you're not so, you know, you're not using that venomous, uncontrollable tongue so much, then you'll be slow to get angry. It's so simple and yet life-changing and so helpful. If you want to stop being angry, say less. Listen more. And you're probably thinking, well, as Christians, we need to be people that speak up for justice. We need to be people that speak up and speak out for what is right. And these are things that are true. We need to be people that verbally share our story, share our testimony. We need to be people that speak, use our voices. And that is 100% true. But what did Jesus do? We just celebrated Easter. Let me just read one verse from 1 Peter. In his hour of need, Jesus, this is what it says in verse 23 of chapter 2. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. We are so Sometimes we're so caught up on who's right and who's wrong. Who should have the last word? Who should, 
you know, our principle. We're, we're principled people. We're moral people, most of us. <laughs> we want what is right, and that isn't a bad thing. But even when Jesus was 100% perfect, 100% right, and it was completely unjust and completely wrong that he was going to be crucified, he stayed silent, and he let God do the justifying Maybe there's arguments or there's conflicts or there's situations in your life where you think, actually, the best thing that I should do right now is not say anything because God will prove me right in the end. So that's the first thing. It's kind of like I I didn't want to just rush over and miss this one out. Slow to get angry. If anybody has any anger issues, this is great practical help. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. We don't need to prove that we are right. Leave that to God. So the next two, I'm going to spend a little bit more time looking at. The second one, in reverse order, we've done slow to get angry. The second one is slow to speak. The reason we need to be slow to speak is because our words are powerful. I've been reading a book which some of you may have read. It's, it's an old book. It's, called, it's by Stephen R. Covey. It's a book that's used in um, leadership management training sessions around the world and has been done for decades in various different fields, including church. The guy was a Mormon, I believe, so he talks about spiritual things, but it's very much kind of geared towards business and organizational and leadership management structures and things like that. And he uses a terminology which I found really helpful recently. I've tried to put this into practice. You might want to do it as well. It's called um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And if you want to make it Christian, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Devoted Jesus Followers. It's, it's not that, but, you know, if you want to make it spiritual. But it is spiritual. He uses this term, emotional bank accounts. So just like a physical monetary bank account, between a relationship, so a husband and wife, a friend, uh, a son or daughter, there exists this metaphorical, symbolic bank account. So you can make deposits into that account. So acts of kindness, kind words, um, understanding them, taking some time to listen, be nice, you know, all the things that you do. Some, some of them are words, some of them are actions, some of them are just general attitudes and things. So you can make deposits as you would in a bank account. But you can also make withdrawals. So when you break a promise, when you poke them when you shouldn't, when you annoy them, when you um, say an unkind thing or you, you, you react angrily for no reason, it creates a withdrawal. When you don't listen to their point, their point of view, when you don't listen to them, it creates a withdrawal. It, 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 and the more withdrawals, the more risk that you become of becoming overdrawn. And when, that, when you're overdrawn, you know, that relationship is, is very difficult to repair. That's when, you know, marriages break down. That's when um, children, you know, kind of give up on their families or their, or their parents. That, so the, the key message here is that we need to continually, like you would a bank account, continually make deposits, continually add um, kind words and, and good deeds and, and, and be a, a, an integral person. And going back to this topic of sort of speaking, words, as I mentioned at the very beginning, words are powerful. And words, if you think of it in this emotional bank account scenario, words are very valuable. They're expensive. And also... You know, some of these negative words, a backlash, an anger, a reaction, a kind of spiteful statement that you've been storing inside for so long and you've been waiting for that moment to just lash out at someone, that's way more expensive than a kind compliment. So if you've kind of created a big withdrawal in someone's life, so you've hurt them, you've said something, you've, 
you've done something that has really, really hurt them. It's going to take more than one positive word. It's, 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 it's a cliche, but sorry doesn't always cut it. Sorry is just a little word. You, you know, it needs more than that. So, so words have different values. Also, it depends on who's making the, the transaction. So if, you know, for example, in light of um, the passing of, of Prince Philip, nobody asked me for a statement or a tribute. No, my words had very little value to the general British public. But everybody would have been knocking on Downing Street's doors if Boris Johnson had not made a statement. His words carried way more weight. Certain scenarios, a doctor's scenario, carries more weight than my kind of Google diagnosis of your condition. A father's words can often carry more value and more weight. So, or, or a mother. So we have to be very careful with what we say to our children because what we say can really do some good, but it could also do some really, you know, some difficult stuff in our lives. So the value varies. And some of these debts that we might have, some of these um, withdrawals, they might take longer to pay off. So there's kind of like, I like this sort of emotional bank account, and it helps me understand, actually, so if I've got to do something or have some conflict situation or kind of maybe tell Steph off or, or ask something of somebody which is above and beyond the norm, I've got to ensure that my bank account is in a healthy state. So I can't just jump in and, and just shout at somebody and say, you've done this, you've done that. If I've not built up some deposits of kindness and goodness, then I can expect a reaction. And that, that relationship is, is under jeopardy. So we have to understand that, you know, particularly, bearing in mind this book is about management. So if you're a boss um, or, you know, you're leading somebody, if you want people to follow you, you need to ensure that you've built up that relationship. You can't just go in there with some instruction because they might not respond same, it works in any sort of relationship. So, our words are powerful. And then moving on to the third one, quick to listen. Listening is perhaps the biggest deposit that you can make in somebody's emotional bank account. We're all so good at this kind of like pretend listening or some selective hearing. There was one occasion recently where, well, I'll say recently, it was like 18 months ago now, not long before the, uh, the pandemic. We were in a restaurant. We went to Frankie and Benny's. We'd arranged, most social occasions are arranged by Steph in our life. This one particular social gathering was arranged by me. So I'd arranged with my mom and my sisters to go and meet in Frankie and Benny's. So me and Steph and Abigail, we sat down, we, got, we were kind of waiting. And the Hodgson family aren't renowned. My mom's probably listening. We're not renowned for good timekeeping, to be honest. So they were five, 10, 15 minutes late. And kind of, that's normal. So we're like, okay, maybe Abigail's getting a bit grouchy. Let's get some breadsticks. Let's get some olives, maybe some garlic bread. Let's order a round of drinks. Let's get all kind of ready for when they arrive, and then we'll order the, the real food. Half an hour went by. Where are they? Let's, let's phone them. We're in Frankie and Benny's. Which Frankie and Benny's? The one across town. We're in the complete wrong Frankie and Benny's. So I'd listened to the detail. I had some, you know, some level of detail. I'd arranged, I'd listened to my mom. That's me in, in Frankie and Benny's, but I didn't actually clarify which one we're in. We all kind of have this guilt. You know, we're guilty of selective hearing. But in, again, in this book, he talks about this empathic or empathetic or active listening. It's listening because if somebody comes, this is a scenario, if somebody came to you with a problem, a child or somebody at work or a friend, and they have an issue, and you know that you're going to listen to them, they kind of share their heart out. What are you thinking in your head? 
you're probably thinking, if you're like me, how do I respond to that? What am I going to say? This person might be going through a bereavement. What do I say? This person might be going through some sort of trauma or some difficult time. How am I going to respond? And that's the natural human way. We often approach listening with, I need to get my reply sorted. So we forget to listen because we're constantly working out, how am I going to respond to this? I'm, I'm, I'm already rehearsing my next thing. And that's not necessarily understanding the individual. So listening, being quick to listen, we need to be attentive. We need to be empathic or empathetic. We need to not only hear their words, but we need to watch and observe their body language. Because so often, somebody is saying far more by what they do than by how they actually say it. I had an incident with my neighbor recently. I hope he's, well, if he is listening, God bless you. We're actually, you know, we're good mates, but we had an incident where um, he wasn't happy with me. And he showed it in his words. He showed it. But I wasn't hearing his words because I, I was trying to practice active, empathic listening. I wasn't hearing his words because um, I, I read, you know, this is slightly unrelated, but it is related. You know, I read about our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. Our battle isn't against my neighbor. It's not my neighbor coming against me. There's a spiritual dimension to this. So I was trying to listen to his what he was not saying to me verbally, but what his body was telling me. And I learned a lot. And I felt, actually, it gave me some tactics and some sort of, um, some ways in which I could deal with that situation in the future. And actually, that relationship is kind of, we're working that out. It's, it's, it's doing okay, actually. So that was because I was listening beyond the actual words. And you can only do that if you'll stop thinking about how am I going to reply, but I'm going to devote my next, however long I've got with this person, to just simply listening to them, hearing their heart, Allowing their, their, you know, their cry of distress to come out. Allowing them to, to be honest and, and to be brutally honest and, and make me feel uncomfortable as the listener. And these things are okay. I'm not going to be quick to respond. I'm not going to be quick to speak. I'm going to be quick to listen. I'm going to be quick to listen. I'm going to listen. I want them to talk. I don't need to be the pastor. I don't need to be the leader. I don't need to be the bigger person. I don't need to be the right person. I just need to be the person that listens and listens and listens until it's uncomfortable. We all hate awkward silences. Allow them to flow. You know, you don't need to fill the silence with, the silence with your words. Let others speak. Ask questions. Don't judge them. Because that's part of the thing, that's part of the inner dialogue that goes on. When we hear somebody share a problem, we start to think, well, this is why they're in that problem. We start to diagnose their situation. Well, the reason they got this problem is because that happened. And, re- and that's kind of how they live their life. We start to diagnose and we evaluate and we say, this is right, this is wrong. And then we will make a judgment about that person without actually truly taking the time to understand them. So I hope you don't mind. This is a very practical message. This is a very practical but potentially life-changing message for you. So... I'm pretty much there. But the question is, how do you listen quick and speak slow? You're probably, you're probably sitting there thinking, well, it sounds good in theory, but in practice, what can I do? And I think the first thing that you can all do if, if you're a Christian, but even if you're not, is you have to submit and surrender this to God. Because as I said at the very beginning, your tongue is like an untamable animal. There is no human being that can control what you say. With the things that we can do to help, we can, um, we can sort of, you know, we, we can try and improve, but every now and then we make mistakes, as it said at that very beginning. So what do we do? 
We need to ask God for help. Admit your mistakes, because we do make them. And apologize. Confess. So that's a simple thing. So if you're thinking, none of this that's stuff that Ben is saying is ever going to work in my life. The starting point, the first thing you need to do is go and pray. And say, God, I need you today. Help me today. And I can do this, and you can do this. Every single day. Wake up. God, help me to be quick, help me to, um, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. If you can pray that prayer every day, God will help you do it. It, it starts there. But also, secondly, use your words slowly. Building up this emotional bank account with people just like any bank account, any savings account, takes time. You don't win the lottery in relationships. You don't get a quick fix overnight. It takes time. It takes learning and understanding that person's love language and working out, okay, this is what they like. This is a transaction that works for them. I'm going to keep doing that rather than the stuff that we know they hate, rather than the stuff that we know flicks their switch. We've got to work on the things that we know that they like. Build it up over time. And often that means using your words less, but actually listening and understanding more. This also applies maybe if you're sharing your faith with somebody. Don't preach and hit somebody over the head with a Bible and continually speak. Maybe the point is use your words less and listen more. And the third thing, third thing that you can do is listen to understand the individual, not just to form you reply. Sometimes it is, just like Jesus, it's okay to say nothing. Because actually, then you realize that you are not the answer to that person's problem. Jesus is. Then you realize actually the answer to their issue isn't found in your reply. It's found in them working it out for themselves. The power for them to change is within them, not necessarily in you. So allow people to use those powerful things that God has given them, their own words. Let them speak. You listen. People don't always need our help, but when they do, they need to go at their pace, not at our pace. We would want them fixed overnight. We would send them on a a two-hour crash course in life transformation. We would want to do that immediately, but sometimes it takes a long time. We need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. <laughs> and that's how, we, that's how I want to conclude with that verse. I hope you don't mind. This message has been very simple. James 1 verse 19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Isn't it funny that we just celebrated Easter and you know, perhaps the other biggest event in our Christian calendar is Christmas. On both occasions, Jesus, born a baby, could not speak. On the cross, Jesus chose not to speak. We, Jesus stayed silent. Words are powerful, but also no words and listening is perhaps even more powerful. He spent 30 years of his life. We don't know much about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Probably because he spent that time listening, understanding the people. So that when he was ready to speak in those three years before his death, people were ready to listen. And the great news is, and I'm going to pray, he's listening to you. He is quick to listen. 
to you. Let's pray. And we're going to worship. Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you, God, that you've given us a responsibility to be there for people, particularly after the pandemic and on the back end of this pandemic, Lord God. There are people who need to talk. And I pray that your church, we, your people, will be ready to listen. God, not to listen to, to lecture or to judge or to try and fix them, but God, to listen to help. Listen to understand. May we hear the cry of distress in our community. May we hear the sound that has not yet been spoken by people in our city and in our world. God, would we hear from you? Lord God, and I just pray, God, for anybody who doesn't know you, God, may you help them listening to them and that you are understanding them in the name of Jesus. Amen.